Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for February 28th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be diving into a bunch of news, including the Men in Black reboot, the Rocketeer animated series, where Solo falls in the Star Wars Galaxy timeline, Atlanta Season 2 early buzz, the Snowpiercer TV series, and a lawsuit involving MoviePass. And in the spoiler room, we'll talk about some interesting Westworld season two casting, and we'll also have a little bit of water cooler from Ben. This is Slash Film editor in chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Slash Film writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. <laughs> okay, before we we get started, let's uh, go over by the virtual water cooler uh, because Ben, I know you went to an interesting event last night, and I want to hear about it. Yes. So last night I went to the UCB theater, the Upright Citizens Brigade theater here in Los Angeles, and I saw a live read of the movie Clue, the script for the movie Clue. They actually used the shooting script. So there were some jokes in here that didn't make the final cut in the movie. And this live read concept has been around for a while. Um, Jason Reitman famously does a bunch of them at the Los Angeles. uh, What is it called? LACMA, the Los Angeles. I don't remember what that actually stands for, but the Museum of Contemporary Art, maybe. Um, I think that's what it is. I think so. Uh, 
But um, Jensen Karp, the guy who runs Gallery 1988, which is a really famous uh, pop culture ga art gallery that we write about all the time on Slash Film, uh, was the one who was sort of organizing this whole thing. And he put together this incredible cast for this live read of Clue. So Ben Schwartz played Wadsworth, who was the butler that, that uh, Tim Curry played in the movie. Uh, Jillian Bell from 22 Jump Street was Mrs. White. Taryn Killam from SNL was Mr. Green. Casey Wilson from Happy Endings was Mrs. Peacock. Paul F. Tompkins, uh, podcaster extraordinaire, was uh, Colonel Mustard. Paul Shear, friend of the podcast, was uh, Professor Plum. Ricky Lindholm was Miss Scarlet. Uh, Angela Trimber, for, who is in um, The Good Place and this really great movie called The Final Girls. She played Yvette, the uh, maid. And Zach Guilford from Friday Night Lights played uh, Mr. Body. And um, <laughs> I mean, it was terrific. I, I'm, I'm probably going to I don't want to like drag on and on and on about this, but I'll just remind or, or suggest that everyone should just rewatch Clue as soon as possible because that script is brilliant and the movie is fantastic. And these guys, uh, every person in this cast did a really terrific job. Um, I actually got some video of it, so I'm going to try to write about it, a, 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 you know, at length, I guess, in the uh a written version of the water cooler that will go up on slashfilm.com later this week. And I'll try to embed that video so you guys can get a sense of the vibe in the room and what it was like. And uh, yeah, it was just really awesome. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to uh, Jensen Carp and all the, the actors for uh, putting on such a great show. And I know a lot of people outside of L.A. probably have never experienced or had the opportunity to experience something like this. You know, I got to see um, years ago uh, Jason Reitman do his father Ivan Reitman's Ghostbusters with like Seth Rogen and a bunch of other people. Um, and, uh, you know, hearing this on paper is much different than seeing it because you're actually kind of like seeing um, an alternate universe version of the movie with deleted scenes play out in front of you on stage. I mean, they are just sitting there in front uh, uh, with a table and with scripts, but um, there's all sorts of interesting observations. I mean, I'm wondering when you were watching Clue, did you have any, was there anything interesting that you don't remember being in the movie or interesting angles that these new actors took? The direction um, it the was it was a lot of uh, there were some jokes in there that got cut that stayed in the shooting script that I think almost every joke that was cut was cut for a reason and didn't quite work. I think one of the jokes in there that was um, uh, Jillian Bell, uh, who played uh, Mrs. White, her character at one point says that that guy <laughs> something about like that guy got a hole in the head and he needed it like a hole in the head or something and it's like and she like paused the show to be like that is not in the movie like she did that a, a couple <laughs> different times and she was like angry about the idea that that was originally in the script almost um, but she did a really terrific impression of uh, Madeline Kahn and she was probably the MVP of the whole thing I mean like I said everybody did a, a terrific job but um, but I, I really loved what Jillian Bell did in that performance. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's always fun to um, to see these characters that, you know, especially in a movie that I've seen as many times as I have something like Clue um, to see different people interpret them and interpret those words in, in a slightly different way. Um, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's also interesting because they aren't trying to give, you know, the line readings from the movie. They're doing their interest, their own interesting spin on things. Um, and uh, th that's very cool. I didn't know that uh, Jensen was doing these events. I'm going to have to keep an eye out for uh, future events. Um, but anyways, let's move on to the news. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were talking about uh, Men in Black. They are rebooting Men in Black. And now I guess Chris Hemsworth is in talks to star. Yeah, so Sony wants to relaunch their Men in Black franchise, and uh, for a while they were talking about that idea of 
blending men in black with the 21 jump street franchise, but that idea is, is dead now. So now they're uh, looking for a new cast and they're right now. Chris Hemsworth is in negotiations to star in the film. Um, According to the story, they're looking for a white character, a black woman, and an older man for the three leads of the film. And it's going to be both a reboot and also sort of like a sequel, sort of like Jurassic World, where it takes the established world of the franchise, but adds a whole new set of characters and a whole new storyline to it. And it's due out in uh, 2019, so they better get cracking on this. Now, is the same director attached, uh, who is it, F. Gary Gray? It says he's still in talks, so he's not finalized yet, but he's still in talks to direct. Because when, when this news first hit uh, the web, I was thinking to myself, how great would it be if Taika Waititi directed this movie, especially with this connection to Chris Hemsworth? I feel like he would be the perfect kind of guy to uh, fill this kind of wacky franchise. That's true. I mean, nothing against F. Gary Gray. I just don't really think of F. Gary Gray as like a, a comedy director, which this franchise is primarily a comedy. But maybe, you know, maybe he'll surprise us when he takes us over and maybe he's been hoping to make a comedy all this time. So we'll I think see. He, I think he directed Be Cool um, back in like 2005. I, I'll have to double check that. But uh, hopefully his comedic timing has grown a little bit since then. But I mean, like, you know, straight out of Compton, there's a lot of funny stuff in that. I mean, I wouldn't call that movie a comedy, but there's a lot of good comedic moments in there. So, yeah, maybe this will work. Maybe. Um, so I, I don't, I'm not sure I trust him uh, from a comedic side of things. Anyways, let's move on to The Rocketeer. Uh, I think like a year or so ago, we heard that they, Disney was uh, talking about writing with Max Winkler a uh, Rocketeer sequel reboot called The Rocketeers. And now they have announced a Rocketeer animated series coming to Disney Junior in 2019. What do we know about it, Ben? Yeah, so the the Rocketeer is based on uh, Dave Stevens' uh, comic, which is about a. It's set in like the 1930s in LA, and it's about a stunt pilot who discovers a prototype jetpack and he uses it basically to fight Nazis. Um, the movie or the comic was adapted into a movie in 1991. Um, that movie is really terrific. Joe Johnson directed it. It is. Uh, it's one of the best comic book movies ever made, I think. And uh, yeah, I was really excited about the film sequel, as Peter just mentioned. But yes, it seems as if Disney Junior has uh, jumped the film sequel in line and they are going to be producing a new show that is just called The Rocketeer and it's going to be aimed at two to seven year olds and uh, they're going to be releasing a batch of new episodes and uh, each episode is going to have two 11 minute stories in it and an original song in each episode so I'm really hoping that there's going to be a song about how Nazis are terrible because <laughs> that's like one of the big things in, in The Rocketeer uh, and um, yeah it follows a young girl this time who receives a surprise package on her birthday revealing that she's next in line to become The Rocketeer so uh, that's kind of a, a cool little gender swapped twist there and that actually is something that The Rocketeers, the planned film sequel plans to incorporate as well i think that uh movie if it ever gets made is supposed to be sort of uh, passing the jetpack down from cliff secord to a young black female pilot in a story that's supposed to be set about six years after the events of the movie so uh yeah there's a lot of rocketeer stuff going on right now now it's been a very long time since i've watched uh children programming i, I mean i guess i watch star wars rebels every week but um aside from that it's been a long time uh is that something usual where where they do a episode that's bro uh, broken down into like mini storylines 
So I was just thinking about that. And when I wrote the article, I, I was reminded that a lot of TV shows and cart animated cartoons and stuff like that, when I was growing up, I feel like they were split like that. I feel like episodes of like Tiny Toon Adventures and shows like Doug oh, yeah, on Nickel Nickelodeon yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I feel like there were they were often broken into. Um, yeah, like basically episodes were split in half. And I'm not sure if that's just because. Uh, kids that young probably don't have the attention span to track, you know, narratively track a story that lasts, you know, 30 continuous minutes. But um, but uh, yeah, I think it's it's kind of a cool throwback. And I don't know if I'm ever going to watch this animated Rocketeer show because it's aimed at two to seven year olds. But I love the idea of the Rocketeer being a property that they consider viable and, um, you know, something that hopefully will introduce that character and, and that story to a new generation of kids who will hopefully grow up and discover Dave Stevens, uh, comics and, and the movie and all that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I really liked Tron legacy. And then when D the Disney channel was coming out with an animated series, I was like, I'm totally going to watch that. And I still have not seen, uh, more than a trailer of that series. So I think, like uh, that had a really good voice cast, didn't it? Like Elijah Wood was in it or something. Maybe Mandy Moore did, did voice work on that show. Yeah. And a lot of people loved it too. So I, maybe I, I do need to catch up on it uh, at some point. Uh, but let's uh, move on. Let's move over to uh, another Disney property. And that is solo, a star Wars story. Uh, we kind of had some idea of where this takes place in the star Wars timeline, but now we have an idea of exactly when it takes place in the Star Wars canon. Chris, what do we know? Yeah, so like you said, Peter, we pretty much already knew where, sort of where Solo would take place, and that's, you know, before A New Hope and after uh, Revenge of the Sith. So Delray Books, who publish all the uh, Star Wars spinoff novels, uh, released a pretty, it's, it's actually a neat-looking uh, timeline where you can scroll through and see where all the books take place as well as, you know, the films. And thanks to this, we know now, you know, obviously it takes place after Episode 3. Uh, it takes place, Solo takes place a little bit before Star Wars Rebels, and it takes place also at least two books worth <laughs> before um, Rogue One and Episode 4, uh, A New Hope. And... That's um I like that because it confirms that unlike Rogue One, which ends literally right before uh, A New Hope begins, there's going to be some time between Solo and A New Hope. So I remember after I saw Rogue One, I was like, "Ugh, that the Han Solo movie is probably going to end with them walking into the cantina and meeting Luke. You know, they're going to just go with that very predictable ending but this confirms that they're actually not going to end it that way so that's uh that's one thing to look forward to <laughs> see now you say that's like that that like it's a good thing but when i hear you say that chris the only thing i can think in my mind is the reason why they didn't do that is for sequel potential because you know they're gonna make solo 2 a star wars story and that will fill in the gap in between uh solo 1 and uh a new hope uh, see, I hadn't thought of that, but now I'm depressed again. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's definitely, I guess it depends on the box office. If Solo is a hit, which I don't see why it wouldn't be, because I don't think there'll ever be a Star Wars movie that isn't a hit. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they do start greenlighting more young Han Solo films. And and now I, I can't get out of my head, like, what what would you call a sequel to Solo, a Star Wars story? Because you can't call it Solo 2, a Star Wars story, right? 
Uh, I don't know. I guess you could call it Han, a Star Wars story. Solos, a Star Wars story. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, if you have an answer to that question, please send us an email at peter at slashfilm.com. Peter at slashfilm.com. If we get a really good answer to the, the what should be the title of uh, the sequel to Solo, a Star Wars Stories sequel, I will feature it on this podcast. Okay, next up, uh, Atlanta Season 2 is going to premiere... But it's actually not called season two, right, Ben? It's called? Yes, that is correct. It's called Atlanta Robin season. Why? Uh, R-O-B-B-I-N apostrophe. And so it's called Robin season because apparently the new season is set um, right before Christmas time, which uh, one of the characters explains that as Christmas approaches, everybody has to eat. And essentially, that's the time when crime increases because people get desperate to be able to you know, feed their families and buy Christmas presents and stuff like that. So that's the the general sense of, of why uh, it's called Robin season. But also, apparently, that theme of, of uh, theft and, and robbing is something that is layered pretty heavily into season two of Atlanta. So um, it wait, seems wait, like there's a metaphorical layer to it as well. Wait, before you go on, is this something that any other huge TV series has done? I know Chris would probably have the answer to this. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Chris, do you know? What, change the title? No, yeah. change, the, change the name of the season. Because like this well, isn't I mean, season two. Like th- That's one thing that bothers me about... Um, you know, uh, get off my lawn. But uh, it bothers me about uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that I feel like in 10 years to go back and watch those things in order because there's no numbers except for the Iron Man sequels. Uh, you, you really have no idea. Like You'll have to like consult a chart. I mean, I guess the best example would be American Horror Story and also now American Crime Story where the new seasons aren't called season two. They have a whole new title where it's, you know, American Horror Story, Asylum, stuff like that. But beyond that... Yeah, but they're singular uh, stories. I feel like you... Don't, that's true, you, yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, I, yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, the the first reviews have hit the web. And, Ben, you did a roundup for the site. Uh, is Atlanta Season 2, or Robin Season, as good as the first season of Atlanta? So, uh, as of the time that I was writing the article, which was just a few minutes ago, it had about 20 reviews in on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was uh, rated 100% fresh on the tomato meter. So, I mean, I know we've talked about how Rotten Tomatoes is definitely not the end-all, be-all of criticism, and it's it's always um, dangerous to sort of reduce something down into a single number, but uh, it does seem that critics are really enjoying the new season. So, I, I you know, grabbed a few excerpts from a lot of the reviews that are out there. It seems like uh, the critics were given the first three episodes of the new season. I should also say that uh, that Atlanta Robin season premieres tomorrow night. So it's um, Thursday, March 1st, 2018 at uh, 10 p.m. on FX. So set your DVRs um, because the show has been off the air for like over a year while Donald Glover has been off filming solo a Star Wars story. So yeah, the um, the general sense of uh, the second season of Atlanta is that uh, while the first season got pretty surreal, the first three episodes anyway um, tend to actually ground things a little bit more. Uh, the excerpt from The Observer says, when expectations have been subverted to such a degree, as they were in the first season, uh, audiences will come to expect even greater offbeat twists and turns the second time around. But that's the genius of Atlanta season two. In its first three episodes, it trades in the genre breaking of season one for a more linear story that grounds everything while still maintaining the more daring choices made the first time around. 
and Uprox says that there are still absurdist touches in the margins, like Darius becoming convinced that all of the Florida man headlines he sees on the internet refer to the same person. And while there are still some audacious shifts in tone, like a largely dramatic cameo from an unrecognizable Cat Williams in the season premiere, uh, it all feels more of a piece and a bit more down to earth than the first season. So, um, yeah, it sounds like there's uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, the same stylistic touches that are uh, that carry over from the first season, but it sounds like they're um, you know going a little bit more internal instead of expanding the weirdness of season uh, one. Did you guys watch the first season? Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. It's very, I mean, it's like borderline experimental. Some of the stuff yeah. that they were doing in that in that show is really crazy. Chris, did you watch it? I've seen the first, I actually just started watching it now to get caught up for the second season. So I, I've seen the, uh, a few episodes of the first season, but I haven't finished it yet. But I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was so funny, uh, so well shot for a comedy, uh, so clever at times. I, I definitely lean more to towards the, I like it when it's more grounded unless um you know crazy um Mm -hmm. so uh these reviews uh seem promising to me um but uh let's move on from atlanta to another tv series and that is the tv show adaptation of snowpiercer it's getting a new showrunner chris what do we know Josh Friedman was the original showrunner for the the tnt adaptation of snowpiercer and TNT picked up the show to series, and then less than two weeks later, Josh Friedman left. Um, it was cited as creative differences, but he later went on Twitter and said he was actually forced out because TNT just didn't, <laughs> I guess, want to work with him. So now uh, Graham Manson, who is one of the co-creators of Orphan Black, has just taken over, and he is the new showrunner. He also wrote the indie horror movie cube i don't know if anyone has seen cube but it's a movie where people are trapped in a giant cube and it's pretty good yeah <laughs> so he he is the new showrunner for snowpiercer which is supposedly going to debut sometime this year now i've only watched the first season of orphan black but it, it was really good um is i watched some of the second season and it just you know what for whatever reason it fell off my list um is this a good uh, is this good news for the snowpiercer series I don't know. I mean, I'm un- I haven't yet to get into Orphan Black. Uh, it's kind of strange. It's not a great sign that uh, Josh Friedman helped develop the show. He helped write the pilot that got the show picked up and then he was instantly fired. I mean, that's not the, the greatest sign, but I'm definitely will, you know curious about the show. It's got a great cast. I mean, Jennifer Connelly's in it. Uh, Davey Diggs from Hamilton is in it. So and I love the film. So I'm very interested to see what they do with this as a series. But Uh, It's not off to the best start to, you know, instantly fire the guy who developed it. So I guess we'll see. Yes. And uh, we've been covering MoviePass uh, since, uh, you know, the inception of their uh, $10 a month unlimited access movie subscription plan. Um, And uh, recently MoviePass has filed a lawsuit against one of their competitors. Chris, what do we know? Yeah, so there's another service called Cinemia, which I have never heard of, but they do basically the same thing where, you know, you, you buy a card and you can use it to see films. And now MoviePass is alleging that Cinemia stole basically two specific patents off of the MoviePass app to use to, uh, you know, for their platform. And so now MoviePass is taking them to court. So we'll see how that turns out. Um, do we know what these patents actually are? 
Uh, it's it's not the specifics, but it's basically involves both the the checking in feature to check in, you know, at the theater where you're seeing. Uh, and it's also um, the prepaid debit card uh, idea is what they're alleging as well. So, I mean, it seems kind of broad because I'm sure there's more to it that, you know, the, the actual lawsuit gets into. But the, that's the gist of it, of what they're alleging Cinemia stole from them. Well, this is how they're going to make their money by suing others with their their, their patents. Yes. Um, but uh, I've actually heard of Cinemia because uh, I, I guess it's kind of big in L.A. Uh, when I'm using Instagram, there's ads for it all over the, my Instagram feed, my my Facebook feed, uh, probably because I look up a lot of movie stuff. Um, and it's basically like MoviePass. You pay, uh, say, I think there's a plan for $15 a month. And with that $15 a month, you get uh, actually no, it's thirty four ninety nine a month. I'm sorry, thirty four ninety nine a month. Normally, you get three movie tickets with no. Uh, the difference between this and Movie Pass is obviously you can't see a movie a day, and uh, the three movie tickets can be IMAX or 3D. So, and you're not restricted to movie theater. You can use it at any movie theater in you know Los Angeles. So there's some benefits there it's, to me, you know, in, in LA, you know, a IMAX movie ticket could be 20 bucks. So if I was seeing, you know, IMAX and 3D movies multiple times a month, this could be a deal to save money. But uh if I'm just willing to go to the 2D version of the movie, I think Movie Pass is still the best uh, bet because obviously, you know, they're losing so much money doing it. Uh, but uh yes. So, uh, do you, what do you think is going to happen out of this lawsuit? Do you think th- this is a plan for them to get money? Or do you think they're t- trying to shut them down? I think they're just trying to get rid of their competition, honestly. Um, I don't know if movie, if Cinemia will go away because of this, but it just seems to me that MoviePass, you know, they want to corner the market on this, you know, subscription service idea. And anyone who starts cropping up with their own now is going to, uh, be in their crosshairs so to speak but is that even competition you're like a 35 dollars service for three tickets a month up against a nine dollar service for you know 30 movies a month theoretically i mean, yeah, I, mean they, I think i think the the big uh piece of contention would be that they they stole the tech right yeah. or that's the allegation so i think the idea i think movie pass couldn't stop other competition from popping up it's just this specific one they're saying they stole stuff right yeah no, uh, I mean, it's definitely within their legal right. Uh, but, okay, next up, we're going to go into the spoiler room and talk a bit about uh, some Westworld Season 2 casting. Um, so I guess, you know, we're putting this in the spoiler room because there's some casting here of some people coming back to the show that you might not want to know are coming back to the show. But it's it's also at the same time some casting that HBO themselves have has announced. And it's also for a show that we've seen, if you've seen the first season, uh, you know, does some fun things with uh, timelines and whatever. So, you know, just because these people are coming back doesn't mean necessarily anything, right? (laughs) Uh, Sure. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, And, you know, there's always the chance that these people will pop up in future trailers and stuff like that, too. But it's basically just this is a vague spoiler warning for you know, just like a blanket spoiler warning. If anybody hasn't caught up with the season yet, or if you have any interest in catching up before season two comes out and you're worried about being spoiled, maybe tune out now, but otherwise it's probably safe for everybody else. Okay. Uh, so who has been cast in Westworld season two? 
So um, it's it's not really new cast. It's just returning people and where we're going to meet up with them at the start of the upcoming second season. So uh, Elsie Hughes, who was played by Shannon Woodward, she is the uh, behavioral programming guru of Westworld. She was kidnapped in the first season or or mysteriously vanished. And it appears I, I, that I, the... I love her character so much. And uh, I'm friendly with uh, Woodward. And when, when she got kidnapped in the episode, I like messaged I sent a direct message her and I was like I am praying for Elsie right now <laughs> and, and it was also like a thing where I saw it like a few weeks in advance because we were seeing press uh, uh, screener copies uh, mm. but uh, I am so glad that she's coming back yeah and she um she was yeah like you said she was sort of you know whisked away and it seemed as if bernard slash arnold may have uh, been choking her to death at one point but we turned it turned out that that she survived that attempt on her life uh stubbs who is the head of security who's played by luke hemsworth um was basically uh he encountered a group of uh, ghost nation hosts which are a tribe of quote-unquote bloodthirsty savages who would occasionally pop up in the show as this sort of uh secretive dangerous force of of like native americans um and both of them survived uh lisa joy who's the co-showrunner of westworld says that uh those characters both of them they're finally getting to experience westworld as guests and not in the managerial halls but i'm not sure they're enjoying their experience she says um tessa thompson's character who is uh her character's name is charlotte hale is the board member of Delos Incorporated, who sort of oversees a lot of the uh, the activities, the business side of Westworld. She spent season one trying to push Anthony Hopkins' uh, character, Dr. Robert Ford, out of his key position. And uh, she is going to be coming back as well. We weren't sure at the end of season one, she's attending this party inside Westworld. And that's when the uh, android uprising happens and uh, Dolores, Evan Rachel Wood's character, starts firing a gun into the crowd. So it's sort of of unclear or it was unclear if uh, if charlotte hale survived but she's definitely coming back uh lisa joy says that she's back and causes trouble she went from this controlled person playing this chess game with ford he takes out her king and queen in one fell swoop now she's left at the mercy of the hosts like everyone else and then um the only other people that I want to mention really quickly are uh, the man in uh, the man in black and uh, AKA William. The it's revealed in the season one finale that those characters are one and the same. So Ed Harris and Jimmy Simpson play uh, the same character on different points on the timeline. Um, he, uh, the older version, the man in black uh, took a bullet in the arm at the end of season one when the androids sort of came out of the woods at him. And uh, it was unclear what his fate was going to be, but, uh, we know that he gets a bit of damage done to him. That's for sure, says Ed Harris. And uh, and then uh, we know that we're going to see flashbacks to Jimmy Simpson's version of that character, the earlier version, as well as flashbacks of uh, Robert Ford, the character played by Anthony Hopkins. Hopkins is not coming back, I don't think, in season two. But we're going to see another actor play a younger version of that character. Um, and we're going to see season two explore the early days of the park, and we're going to learn how Jimmy Simpson's Wim- William became such a prominent figure in Delos and, and sort of uh, how he is able to exert so much influence over the park. Interesting. So we're still going to see some multiple timelines. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, you mentioned with Elsie and uh, Stubbs uh that uh you know they're back and last time we saw them they were both kind of in dangerous situations with uh 
within the park. Do, do you think that we will see them aligned with the androids? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think from so one of the other characters, the um, the really arrogant head writer whose na- character's name is Lee Sizemore. He's played by Simon Quarterman. I think he is going to be a captive of Maeve in the beginning of season two. So I'm wondering if uh, Stubbs and Hughes are going to face the same kind of fate where uh, the androids are going to essentially flip the script and like enslave the the guests in the park, um, it, you know, as they much as they were sort of, quote unquote, enslaved in the first season. So, uh, yeah, I think things are not looking great for them, um, but I expect them to. Uh, yeah to have some serious trouble in season two and the other question is do you think you know we're going to run into uh i'm not sure if either of you guys watched battlestar galactica but they introduced this interesting aspect of cylons uh, being uh skin jobs and being undetectable because they look just like humans and obviously you know westworld season one was playing with that uh westworld season two we're bringing back people we thought were at the you know the end of their lives um do you think it's a possibility that they're going to play with this idea this season that you know these people might not be them you know they may be reincarnated as robot versions of them i mean yeah that was actually my very first thought when it was you know announced that characters i thought were pretty much dead were coming back that there's a pretty good chance they'll be robots but at the same time there's also a pretty good chance the show's going to keep you guessing as to whether or not that's true until the last possible moment yes uh you know uh chris you talked about you know entertainment as a as a math equation of trying to be solved by the internet and uh you know while i don't like that with a lot of entertainment i love that with westworld and i can't wait to dive into season two and you know read all the the reddit chatter and and start up my westworld uh mysteries uh uh article series again um which was a lot of fun with uh the first season like this is i know i said this in the past but this is one of those shows that is just a joy to watch live in real time because you're participating with that um with everybody else who is watching it and trying to i guess you know immerse themselves and solve the mysteries uh that does it for today's edition of slash film daily chris where can people find more of your work online? Uh, I'm at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 Ben, where can people find more of your work? You can track me down at SlashFilm.com and on Twitter at Ben Pears. You can find me at SlashFilm on Twitter. You can find all the stories we've talked about today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, Please go to iTunes, give us a rating, write us a review, tell your friends, spread the word. We will see you tomorrow.